This is episode number 297 with data scientist Ayudeli Odabella. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. This episode is brought to you by our very own data science conference, Data Science Go 2019. There are plenty of data science conferences out there. Data Science Go is not your ordinary data science event. This is a conference dedicated to career advancement. We have three days of immersive talks, panels, and training sessions designed to teach, inspire, and guide you. There's three separate uh, career tracks involved. So whether you're a beginner, a practitioner, or a manager, you can find a career track for you and select the right talks to advance your career. We're expecting 40 speakers, that's 4040 speakers to join us for Data Science Go 2019. And just to give you a taste of what to expect, here are some of the speakers that we had in the previous years. Creator of Makeover Monday, Andy Kriebel, AI thought leader Ben Taylor, data science influencer Randy Lau, data science mentor Kristen Kerrer, founder of Visual Cinnamon, Nadie Bremer, technology futurist Publis Holman, and many, many more. Uh, this year, we will have over 800 attendees from beginners to data scientists to managers and leaders. So there will be plenty of networking opportunities with our attendees and speakers and you don't want to miss out on that. That's the best way to grow your data science network and grow your career. And as a bonus, there will be a track for executives. So if you're executive listening to this, check this out. Last year at Data Science Go X, which is our special track for executives, we had key business decision makers from Ellie Mae, Levi Strauss, Dell, Red Bull, and more. So whether you're a beginner, practitioner, manager, or executive, Data Science Go is for you. Data Science Go is happening on the 27th, 28th, 29th of September 2019 in San Diego. Don't miss out. You can get your tickets at www.datasciencego.com. I would personally love to see you there, network with you, and help inspire your career or progress your business into the space of data science. Once again, the website is www.datasciencego.com, and I'll see you there. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. What an episode. What an episode I have prepared for you today. Ayudeli Odabella is one of our speakers for Data Science Go this year in San Diego. And I literally just got off the phone with her from recording this podcast. And this episode is going to blow your mind. Ayudeli came into data science just over two years ago from a non-technical background. And the amount of success, the amount of projects that she's done, the amount of things that she's learned and, and already given back to the community is going to be super inspiring. For me, it was super inspiring to hear about. You're going to hear about things like how and why Ayudeli chose to do a master's in data science and a full-time master's for two years and how she supplemented that with online education and why. Uh, finding messy data on purpose in order to learn how to deal with messy data. Uh, we'll talk about self-discovery, fortitude and passion. You'll hear about some of the projects that Ayudeli has worked on, such as using SVM or support vector machines for detecting poisonous versus edible mushrooms, using random forests and decision trees for uh, ranking wines based on the chemical contents, um, using naive base to detect spam, uh, a real world project that she's actually worked on and written a, a conference paper on uh, bullet stopping flying drones. Yes, you heard that right. Bullet stopping flying drones. And you will find out what role machine learning played in that. Uh, what Ayudeli did with that and how they're going to be applied in society once uh, they get rolled out. Um, also, you will learn how she got her job, a, one of her data science jobs, 
through Twitter and how you can replicate the same success, how you can expose yourself on different platforms to uh, get hired basically. Uh, in fact, you will also learn that they're currently hiring at MindBody, the company where she works and you'll learn more details about that role. Um, and many, many more things uh, from soft skills to her presentation at DataSense Go and, and lots and lots of other things. So a very inspiring podcast. I can't wait for you to check it out. So without further ado, I bring to you data scientist Ayudeli Odabella. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast. Today, I've got a very special guest joining us for the show, Ayudeli Odabella. Ayudeli, how are you going? I'm doing well. How are you, Carol? I'm very well, too, and very excited as well to have you on the show. Um, you are local to San Diego, which I was very surprised to learn just now. Yes, yeah, so I've actually only been in San Diego the past six months, but mm. um, it's been a really nice change from living in pretty cold Denver. So that's beautiful. Wow, that's good. I love San Diego. The weather is amazing there all the time. Such a nice place. Yeah. Um, how long did you spend in Denver? I was there for three years. So um, I was just starting to get used to the cold and then uh, got spoiled a little bit. What happened? Why did you move? I actually landed a new position, so I started um, with MindBody in March, and that's when we moved out to San Diego. Oh, congrats. Congrats. That's really yeah. exciting. Um, I must say, like, your LinkedIn is super interesting with the different projects and different roles that you've been in and you currently are in. So, like, when I read it, I was really pumped to see what will come out of this podcast so it's going to be really fun i think yeah i think so too but let, to get started tell me a bit more about this like we chat about this just now but before the podcast but i'd love to learn more so you have a podcast of your own and it's about hockey you know out of all things like you chose to do a podcast about hockey tell us about that how did you become a hockey fan yeah, so I actually got dragged to a hockey game uh, my very first time without really knowing anything about it previously. And of all places, I actually got into it in Texas. Mm -hmm. So I went to a minor league game and kind of fell in love. Once I figured out where the puck was moving, um, it was just a much faster sport than football, which I had gotten really accustomed to. Mm -hmm. uh, so. After a couple years of being really interested in the sport, I started talking to a lot of other people, meeting other hockey fans. And my boyfriend actually is the co-host of the podcast with me. And we kind of end up talking a little bit stats, a little bit about trades and contracts and a lot of the other fun drama that's really involved in uh, national hockey in the U.S. So um, it kind of came out of nowhere, but we definitely tend to just talk, of, you know, make a couple of jokes about the league and analyze a little bit about what's going on. That's so cool. Uh, that's that's such an exciting thing. So what's the podcast called in case we have some hockey fans in the audience as well? Yeah, it's called the Offensive Zone Podcast. The Offensive Zone Podcast. Mm -hmm. Okay, very cool. And how long have you been doing that for? Um, that's actually about two years. We are about to start our third season, which is very crazy to me because <sighs> we kind of started it on a whim. Wow, that's cool. Exciting times. Well, congrats. Hope that keeps going really well. That sounds sounds like a cool passion project and completely unrelated to data science, as I understand. <laughs> yep. Uh, I have done a couple hockey projects doing some goal prediction. Uh, I'm really interested in looking at computer vision for trying to predict goals, maybe the previous three seconds of video or wow. however long, uh, trying to get an understanding there of what leads up to a goal or what might lead up to a miss. Okay. Okay, very, very interesting project. Maybe eventually you'll be able to predict like a game in advance, how many, you know, the scores or something like that. That would be, that'd be valuable, I guess. I, I don't know much about hockey, but it sounds, sounds like a really cool area to be in. Okay, so let's, uh, let's talk about data science then. How, because you, you mentioned that you moved from a non-technical background into data science. Right. Sounds mm -hmm. sounds like you're you like you love these things where like there's some uncertainty. Oh, hockey. Okay, I'll go into that. Oh, data science. I'll go into that. Uh, so, what's Absolutely. the story there? What were you in, and how and how and why did you get into data science? 
Yeah. So I was actually working in marketing and specifically social media marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, in my undergrad, I studied media, professional communications, and was working for a marketing agency when they had a little bit of um, an opening on the PPC side. So mm-hmm. under understanding paid media campaigns uh, that kind of introduced me to the world of impressions and click-through rates just as digital media was really starting to rise. Um, And a couple years after doing that, I ended up working for an app company. Mm -hmm. And I was working on a lot of A-B testing, so their push notifications. This was when we had just kind of found out that using emojis would get people to click into those. I was doing A-B testing on in-app notifications as well. And as soon as that startup really started to go under, I actually decided to go back to school for my master's in data science. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was 2016 when that was just starting to get hot and I started to notice an overlap in my skills and what I was really starting to do at work Mm -hmm. and how my digital role seemed to be more about analytics. more I wanted to progress in the roles. They were looking for people who were able to analyze the results more so than create the content. So mm-hmm. uh, that's when I switched into data science. Okay, well, so you kind of looked around for roles and saw where the market is moving and decided to follow the market. Mm-hmm, pretty okay. much. <laughs> okay, that's really cool. And so you, you said you started your data science in 2016, is that right? Mm-hmm. And, and also you told me you finished it like just this year, is that correct? I finished it last December, yeah. Last December. So what is like a two years master? Oh, no. Yeah, two years Mm -hmm. masters? Two-year program. Okay. Full-time. Yes. So uh, I probably would not recommend this to other people, (laughs) but I was working full-time and going to school full-time in data science. And uh, it was tough, but Mm. I survived. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that's that's the drive to be, you know, successful to, to learn new things. That's really cool. And yeah, indeed, usually people like take part time if they have work. What what made you take the decision to do part uh, to do full time data science? Um, I wanted to get it done quick, so mm-hmm. uh, at least with a degree. But with work, I had the opportunity to work for a startup, and I was putting in about sixty hours a week. But I felt like I had a really big impact. I was the only. Uh, person that was data knowledgeable on the team. So it was on my shoulders a lot for uh, fulfilling requests, uh, doing a lot of the predictive modeling, anything data related I felt was on my shoulders. So I had the benefit of having a lot of impact and I kind of sacrificed sleep. Over that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, all right. Um, and so was it worth it? Was a master's in data science? That's a really good question, actually. You know, it's a it's quite a controversial question now because there's so much online you can learn. There's so many things you can learn mm-hmm. online. So was what were the advantages of doing an in-person? You said you did it at Regis University in San Diego. Mm-hmm. So what were the advantages yeah. of doing it in person? Yeah, so Regis is actually a really small school in Denver, Colorado. Um, and so some of my classes were in person, but some I actually was able to take online and just work on after work. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel the biggest advantage for me was having these conversations in person with people about data science. Um, There's a lot of really difficult to understand concepts that when you hear it described multiple ways from multiple people and talking through those problems that you run into, Mm -hmm. I found that to be the most helpful. Um, I also think for me, getting a master's degree was really that foot in the door at a lot of companies. Um, I think that is definitely in part because I have a non-technical background. Mm -hmm. So if someone were to look at my resume and just look at a non-technical bachelor's degree and a marketing and analyst role, they may not necessarily think I'm qualified for a data science position. Mm -hmm. So I think that really helped uh, get me to the next level. And uh, when I was applying to jobs, I think that definitely made a big difference. Okay. Just out of curiosity, what is your uh, background in terms of like bachelor's? Oh, uh, it's in digital media and communications. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's interesting, actually. In my undergrad, I was computer science for a year and a half, Mm -hmm. and I was not uh, in love with the program. Mm -hmm. And I ended up switching over to a more general digital media role, but uh, I ended up switching over to a more general 
digital media and communications degree, but that included some courses in web design and critical media theory um, and a lot of things that I actually found really helpful to my role now. And since I work with a lot of marketing and advertising data, and that's kind of in my wheelhouse previously, uh, my undergrad actually was fairly important to my role and that communications aspect um, and public speaking is actually uh, a large part of presenting at MindBody right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow, those soft skills in data science, right? That's Absolutely. Super important. I, You know what, this is, I've never encountered this before. I love this about you, that you are so open to just like, you know, take pick your things up and change and change and change, you know, starting from, uh, you said it was an IT degree at the very start, right? Uh, it was actually uh, just kind of, general studies mm -hmm. uh, so it was more of that communications uh, and digital media uh, and you know I didn't like the computer science computer things science. When I tried. Yeah. Just, so, yeah, so you yeah. basically got out of computer science went into digital media and then digital media communications uh, so in that, those areas and then back into data science which you know a lot of it's actually really related to computer science so like, I like this about you that you can very easily, very adaptable, very um, agile in the sense of how you think about your career and your future. And how, how does that, like, psychologically, how does that feel? Does it stress you out or does it, like, on the, on the flip side, does it liberate you in some way? I think there's definitely a little bit of both. Um, I have to give some credit to uh, my past and being having to adapt when moving from city to city. So um, growing up, I was what I like to call a military brat. I went to a couple different schools for middle school. Um, picking up and moving was just part of life. Mm -hmm. So I think I learned to be really adaptable on that side. But even as far as my career, I think that's definitely been some somewhat due to necessity. Uh, when I was working in marketing, I was at a couple startups that ended up, you know, just running out of runway and having to try and find another role, um, you know, with short term notice, not really any severance package. Uh, you really start to think where can I best leverage my skills that will put me in a place that's uh, a little bit more financially stable. Yeah, wow, fantastic. No, that's that's some great, great example, I think, for, for people who might be a little bit hesitant, they might not completely like what they're doing and things like that. Um, just being open and to this uncertainty and seeing where life takes you. Absolutely. Cool. Okay, so, and with this master's in data science, another thing you mentioned before the podcast, which I'd love to touch on, is you supplemented that with online education. Um, mm -hmm. Tell us a bit about that. So, how, how did you do that? And, like, what, how does that put you ahead? Or why? Like, what was lacking in the actual data science degree that you were doing? Uh, I think one of the things that was lacking, um, we my program was very project based. Mm -hmm. So each week's homework essentially would be one part of a larger project that was built over the course of the semester. Um, I think what was lacking was that real connection to what real data might look like. Uh -huh. So we had a lot of very packaged, pretty, pre-cleaned data to work with. Uh -huh. And one of the things when I started out, I actually took uh, the like data science A to Z course, and I really understood Yay. data processing. Um, that wasn't really something cool. that was really part of the program that even now, um, you know, obviously those surveys say data scientists spend so much time cleaning data, um, but there's little things I run into like Excel formatting and things that aren't necessarily taught to you, mm -hmm. but can be such a time waster when you get to your role if you don't have experience working yeah. with it. Um, so that was definitely one of the reasons that I wanted to supplement to my degree, just working with things that are messy and finding Kaggle data sets that were imperfect and running into errors and trying to work through those. That's really cool. So this uh, in the data science, the course, you're talking about uh, section three, right, where we talk 
specifically about yep. cleaning the data. Did you, like, that was, the way I put that together was I took everything, all my experience I had back from Deloitte in terms of, all right, like, what messy data have I ever encountered and how, how like, let's make it as difficult as possible. So it's, it's the biggest section in the course. And I knew it was gonna, I'm going to make it brutal. I think actually I mentioned that at the start of the section. Yeah. Well, uh, did you did you find it manageable? How did you like get through that part? I found it manageable over time. Mm. Um, but I really enjoyed that. I loved that it was difficult because mm. uh, I wish something that people would have told me more before even getting into data science was how hard it really is. Um, mm. And when I say that, I don't necessarily just mean technically, but explaining to stakeholders that correlation isn't causation and you mm. can't say a rise in this one aspect is related to one thing. I think early on it's easy to get disillusioned and say, I'm going to have impacts and I'm going to predict these really cool things without understanding how hard working with the actual data is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, to totally agree. So that that's really cool. Okay, so finding messy data and learning how to work with messy data because projects can be prepackaged too neatly in a real masters. Okay, any other reasons? Um, I just I just wanted to learn as much as I could. I felt like my program kind of left out some of the really interesting things like uh, we didn't go very deep in natural language processing um, and that was one that I really enjoyed uh, just researching on my own and, and doing some of these supplemental classes. Uh, I, I really enjoy working with text data. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, really cool. Well, that's... Um... Yeah, text data is uh, is quite a powerful thing, and it's it's great that you're finding these things that you enjoy. What what I keep like reverting to in in the, my like thinking about this is that all this happened in like what two years that you, you've been yeah. in data science for two years is that is that right two and a half? That's that's crazy. Like you've already accomplished so much in such a short span of time. Like how can anybody do this? Is this is this is this uh, available to anyone to like become a data scientist from a non-technical background in two and a half years and achieve this like this level of success i think so so um i don't want to say oh there's nothing special about me but i think it was a little bit of kind of just hard work um and and a genuine interest so Data science may not be the right thing for everyone. Um, I thought that software engineering was going to be my thing, and I realized it was not. <laughs> uh, I like the analysis, and I don't so much like the debugging and building a product and really thinking about things on that aspect. Mm -hmm. um, I think data science was the right intersection of what I was doing. I was able to use some of my marketing experience and have a company take a chance on me because I had marketing experience and I uh -huh. was analytical enough. Um, but I don't think it's something that can't be learned in two and a half years. Um, for someone to get a job in this field, I really think it takes that, just highlighting where you're unique and where your passions actually lie. Um, and I think it's that self-discovery. I don't wanna say, oh, if you're not built for this, uh, then you shouldn't do it. But mm -hmm. I even realizing now in my job, I'm a people pleaser and it's difficult to be in data science and try to please everyone. So yeah. um, it just kind of takes a little bit of fortitude and some passion, I think. Yes, that's really good. Fortitude and passion, that, that should be in the title of this podcast <laughs> or something in the <laughs> notes, fortitude and passion. Okay, very cool. Um, let's talk a bit about some sample projects. You have some very exciting things mentioned on LinkedIn. Is that, is that okay if we jump to that now? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so first one is, um, this one I found really interesting. I, I got to know how, how you did this. You said you built an SVM support vector machine that resulted in a 97% accuracy in determining poisonous and edible mushrooms. Like why and how? <laughs> the questions I have. Why this project and how do you do it? 
Absolutely. So that project actually came about, um, that was one from my master's degree. So mm -hmm. uh, we were given a data set. Um, one of our instructors was really, really interested in hiking mm -hmm. and uh, had an odd uh, fascination with like hunter-gatherer lifestyles. Mm -hmm. So we we're looking up different kinds of um, edible plants, uh, edible flowers. I kind of landed on edible mushrooms. Um, and essentially the data that I was able to find had a couple of the different aspects um, of the mushrooms, the size, the chemical components, as well as um, a couple other measurements, how many, uh, how, how many, I forget the name of it, the part on the bottom of the cap of the mushroom. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially, what I wanted to end up productionizing was a tool that would use all of these components from uh, our past knowledge and combine that in some way with a computer vision project that would let you scan a mushroom and tell you if it's edible or not. So this was kind of that first step in that project, um, not really going the computer vision route yet, but trying to understand uh, what our likelihood is of getting sick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if to eat a mushroom on our hike mm. so um, what I found really interesting about this one is that it didn't take a lot of tuning um, for the SVM to actually perform pretty well and I had a relatively balanced data set so I didn't have to deal with a lot of those issues um, but it was cool because this project was the first to really make me think about our evaluation metrics and uh, accuracy obviously being the most popular despite the fact that it's a very accurate model i don't know if i would trust it yeah. <laughs> if something's poisonous and it's talking about me ingesting it yeah. i'm like i'm just gonna pass on all, on all of you um yeah. But I can also see how that same methodology is applied to medicine and um, predicting disease. And it really got me starting to think about the ethical aspects of data science and how we are also in the control of choosing what metrics we want to use, which is probably uncommon for most people in science. Um, mm -hmm. But if you want to use accuracy or precision or recall, that's kind of in the hands of the practitioner. So um, it got me thinking early on <laughs> about the implications of that. Mm. And also puts into perspective the that 97% might sound good for a business project, but when it comes mm -hmm. to like, is this mushroom poisonous or not? <laughs> I I wouldn't like nine three percent chance of like getting super sick uh, or even having a lethal outcome doesn't sound appealing to me at all. Like I would require a ninety nine point ninety seven percent accuracy at least. Exactly. <laughs> Very cool. And I'm with you. Sorry. Oh, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I I would not trust that three uh, percent chance. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. All right. So next one. This one, I'm a like a wine fan, not fanatic, okay. but <laughs> I like Thank wine. Um, and this one sounds really exciting. So you created an algorithm to rank wine quality based on its chemical compounds using random forest. Uh, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, uh, this is definitely one of my favorite projects. I am also a wino. Mm. Um, so I had never really given a lot of thought to what's in wine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I'd never given a lot of thought to uh, the chemical components. And so this project came up uh, just kind of out of interest. I was looking at, I think it's the University of California, Irvine's data repository, and they have this really nice wine quality data set. And essentially wines are ranked, I know this sounds weird, but from like three to eight based on how good they are. So Interesting. Um, looking at like, you look at the sul sulfates, um, citric acid, I think, is another one of the features. The alcohol content's another one of the features. So I just wanted to understand, um, you know, what makes a wine actually good? What, uh, you know, we hear a lot about being a wine connoisseur sometime may be fake or, you know, uh, there's a lot of controversy, I think, around that. So it was kind of cool to quantify it. Um, 
And so I ended up creating these random forests, but I wanted to have a better understanding of, you know, why certain decisions uh, were made. So I ended up looking at just a single tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and within one tree, uh, oh, I was able to find the, the pretty much the root node or the top def- definition of what makes the wine good or bad is actually the alcohol content. Mm. So um, this one surprised me because I, I, didn't think it would matter as much in wine, maybe as uh, compared to like hard liquor or something. But uh, essentially, if the alcohol content is over like 6.5, it ends up being on that seven or eight scale uh, versus being in one of the lower sections for quality. So um, after wine, I think it ended up being like folic acid and sulfates. So um, a lot of chemistry things I haven't really thought about in a while, but uh i always if i get the chance to see the alcohol percentage in a wine bottle now i'll try and compare it to one that i like and i'll choose a higher one okay okay that's interesting so but tell me this like normally i thought normally wine is like over 12 percent anyway it's like 12 to a half 14 or is this some special wines that go below six percent so I think there are some that go enough that go below six percent that uh it was actually that ended up being the root node. So it leads me to believe in the ones that are higher than that. Uh, it's probably the folic acid and the sulfates that are pretty big uh, okay. features. Okay. Wow. Okay. Cool project. So you do you use uh, you use that in your in your daily life? Have, have you used the Vivino the app that you know the that you take a photo of a bottle and it tells you the public rate or like the crowd resource rating for it? I actually have not. Check it out. It's called Vivino. It's free. And you just like take a bottle. You can go to a shop. What I do is I go to a shop and I take this and you can change the mode from taking one photo to taking multiple. And you take like five or 10 photos in a row. And then, and it just like on the fly, I think it uses, uh, oh yeah, it does use computer vision to recognize the label. And then it brings up the ratings. And they're not like ratings from wine connoisseurs. They're ratings from like normal people like you and me who've drank the wine and oh, just nice. said, okay, what's the score? What I think the score is. Oh, really, that's awesome. I really definitely cool. Be checking it. Okay, cool. Okay, so that was project number two. And project number three, you created a spam filter with 98% accuracy using Naive Bayes in R. So is, was that another project in your university? Yeah, that was actually another university project. Um, that one kind of was the first foray I had into really, really imbalanced data sets. So, mm-hmm. um, as you can understand with spam, it's usually like less than 1% of your email may be mm-hmm. spam. Mm-hmm. Um, and that definitely relates to a lot of the work that I'm doing now where we're trying to understand, you know, maybe what customer segment someone might go into, but 0.002% of customers move. So um, that got me understanding, you know, what techniques might work with imbalance sets and what might not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and why? Uh, well, I, I've heard that naive base is really powerful for uh, spam prediction. What what would your comments be there? Like, why is naive base a good choice for projects like that or applications like that? Yeah, um, I think part of that is the naive assumption there, mm-hmm. um, because it's a little bit difficult when you're working with those really, really sparse sets Mm -hmm. um, and not really relying on a lot of, uh, not relying technically too much on prior data. I feel like Naive Bayes just tends to be a better predictor when you're looking at uh, imbalanced data. Okay, okay, gotcha. All right, um, so those those three examples of projects, there's plenty more that uh, you, I'm sure you're working on and uh, different things, but what I'd like to know is, Hmm, this would be interesting. So since you became, since you got into data scientist, you've uh, been in a few different roles. Uh, tell us a bit about like what was, what's been your most exciting one so far? Well, of course. Okay. Let's say this. What do you do at MindBody? And before yeah. that, what was your most exciting role? Sure. Um, So right now I work with a lot of marketing, sales, and customer service data. We're really trying to understand our consumers better. So um, on a project that's about consumer segmentation and how they move between different segments, Mm -hmm. um, I also do a lot of work just kind of uh, 
fulfilling data requests for other departments. A lot of our customers are internal, so uh, we do a lot of presentations and using some of the, the soft skills there. Um, as far as past roles, I would have to give it to my job at Astral AR. So there I worked heavily on machine learning. Um, they are drones for good company. So the drones they're creating are resistant to firearms um, and being shot at or uh, heavy uh, or extreme kinds of weather. So essentially the drones are trained to understand what a weapon is on a sensor level. So um, I did a lot of machine learning and understanding where metallic objects are, including firearms, um, firearm magazines, testing on different kinds of knives. And the drones are supposed to be uh, used in disaster relief situations or in uh, law enforcement situations where they're trying to get a better understanding of suspects. And they're able to deploy a drone, understand from a couple meters away if someone is armed, and we as the public have the data on whether an officer knows if a person is armed or not in that moment. If, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, like, just took a whole new twist and you're sitting there like, wow, what, just, what was just said, what is happening? You are, like, not alone. The first time Ayudali yeah. told me about this, I also had, like, my jaw dropped and Yes, indeed. The company is called Astral AR. They have nothing to do with astrophysics. We like. I'm not sure how they came up with the name, but uh, indeed, you are hearing about bullet stopping drones and how they detect weapons. Are, they, are these flying drones? Yeah. So uh, they flying, are drones light. <laughs> flying bullet stopping drones, and how? And you, you, you even wrote a research paper about this. Is that correct? conference paper. Yeah, so uh, I'm one of the co-writers on the paper. It's called the Edna Bullet Stopping Drone. Um, so we actually presented that at the IEEE conference last year for the Global Humanitarian. Uh, it was the IEEE Global Humanitarian Technology Conference. Wow. And you've already worked with law enforcement? Like, is police going to maybe start deploying these things sometime soon? Yeah, so uh, when I was with Astral, we were working with the Austin Police Department um, and partly in getting officers trained to know how to use these um, and know how to pilot these. Uh, they're very specialized systems that you actually are able to fly with just your thoughts. Augmented so, reality, right? Yes. Uh-huh. So, and then the other aspect of that um, was really doing testing on uh, the drone being able to withstand firearms and uh, withstand bullets. Wow, what is what is your life? <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, okay, and so you used what computer vision to detect firearms and stuff like that. So the computer vision part was actually a really small piece. Uh, mm. That's actually more to detect anomalies and threats. So mm. uh, the computer vision behind the drones essentially is looking for someone uh, in a threatening stance. So if they're, they may have a weapon in their hand, but um, if you're holding your hand outwardly from your body, there's a couple different stances that are picked up and might be anomalies. Uh-huh. And a lot of the work I was doing was using radio frequency sensors. So similar to the TSA body scanners. Mm-hmm. And those are what's actually determining this is a 45 millimeter weapon versus a Swiss Army knife, or this is, you know, someone's credit card versus a rifle. Okay. Wow. Oh, that's that's really exciting. I, are you able to disclose or what's what's in the paper in terms of what algorithm did you use for this? Yeah, so uh, what's actually in the paper is it covers a lot of the different components of the drone. So exactly what it's made of. Um, there's a metallic uh, um, there's a metallic foam that they use to actually mm-hmm. make it bulletproof. Mm-hmm. Um, the algorithms, I can't disclose completely what we use. Of used. course, of course. Yeah. Um, but, we, but we ended up on using, uh, I tested a lot of different algorithms against each other and ended up using a combination of decision trees and random forests uh, to really get our final results. But our neural networks actually ended up performing the best. Mm. But in the context, um, 
if these drones are actually sold to uh, schools and police departments, a lot of that data is going to end up being public knowledge. Mm -hmm. So uh, we decided that the trade-off in quote-unquote accuracy for an explainable model was actually better in this case. So it's better to do the explainability versus the accuracy? Mm -hmm. um, we think about it in the very practical uh, context. Let's There are going to be false positives and false negatives. Mm -hmm. um, in the context that the drone thinks someone is armed when they are not actually armed, we want to be able to say why. We want to say the chemical component of item, whatever you're holding, is so much similar to this mm. kind of weapon. So um, we really value explainability. Yeah, yeah, like uh, so, neural network doesn't allow that. It's, it's the decision Correct. trees that mm -hmm. have that. Okay, yeah, it's a common, uh, it's a common kind of like more the this concern is rising more and more explainable ai and you know what do we do with neural networks especially in an application like this where you've got a drone making decisions whether something is dangerous or not i, I can understand where this decision comes from uh, despite that you were able to achieve a 91 percent uh, accuracy rate is that right yeah so um that was really exciting but I think it's a really hard problem. It kind of goes back to our poisonous mushrooms. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. do, do I think 91% and 9% of the time it's going to, you know, say someone isn't armed when they are? Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't cut it. And I feel like that's the hardest part about solving this kind of problem is as a society deciding what is good enough. Mm -hmm. uh, do we say, even though this isn't perfect, it's better than human judgment alone? Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot of uh, implications and a lot of ethical concerns around that. And, and it's an example where humans can work with these drones, right? Like they, any to like the concern here is of course the mostly in this situation, the false negatives that mm -hmm. you have, let's say if the drone has 91% accuracy and it does say that like somebody has a weapon when they don't. Okay, double check, no problem. You know, it's better safe than sorry. But the real problem is out of those 9% where it says that that person doesn't have a weapon, you want to make sure you can't, to catch the false negatives when the person does have a, neg a weapon. Well, you just have, you know, the human double checking those false negatives and, you know, double checking if when cases or looking, I don't know how few people would check that, but when the drone says there's no weapon, okay, does the human confirm or not? Exactly. And I definitely the work. Think that going forward, that's going to be so much more part of any kind of AI system is we are going to need to have human in the, human yeah. in the loop. Yeah. Okay. How do you get a job like that? Are you telling like how like I don't I, I don't even know like where to start. How does someone get a job like that? You would not believe me if I told you I got this job on Twitter. No way. Please. You're joking. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so um, the CEO of the company actually just saw me tweeting about data science um, and uh, pretty much a couple tweets about data science and ethics. And she reached out and we opened up the conversation about a lot of the machine learning I was doing in school. And, you know, she was like, do you want to work with sensor data? And it just kind of happened like that. Wow, congratulations. That is so cool. I'm going I'm to from now on, I'm going to use this as a case study. This is the best. You like, because I always tell people, make yourself visible, you know, don't just sit there and do your projects and, you know, like hang them on your wall, put them out there, you know, tweet, put them on LinkedIn, yeah. put them on, I don't know, Medium, put them on all these, all these places where you can show your work, expose what you're even learning, doesn't even have to be groundbreaking new stuff, just mm -hmm. like, okay, this is what I learned, this is the new thing I did, this is what I'm excited about. Somebody will eventually find, like, companies are looking for good data scientists. That is inevitable. That's that's going to just keep growing because data is growing. The problem is that there's this, there's an ocean of wannabe data scientists, of people who say they want to be a data scientist just because, you know, it pays well, it's a it's a cool, trendy word and things like that. So it's really hard to, for companies to pick, pick out of this ocean the right people. All you have to do is yeah. put your hand up. All you have to like sh shine a beacon into the sky and somebody will come and get you. Exactly. And I think that really just highlights the important importance of being able to market yourself. Mm. Um, 
I think that's where a lot of my marketing skills came in. I'm like, I'll use these hashtags. This will be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think for a lot of people who are really analytical or come from academia or a lot of the hard sciences, being able to brag about your work um, and brag in a way that shows how passionate you are about the impact you get to have with your work is such a key that so many people unfortunately miss out on. Mm-hmm. I'm reading a book now by Susan Cain called Quiet. It's uh, about how introverts get along in this world that currently looks so extroverted. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she mentions is uh, at the start of the 20th century, we moved from a um a character like like a focus on character so like how you are within your household within your community what uh, values and traits you have we moved to a a kind of like even you could even call it like a cult of personality that starting from this whole industrial revolution uh, well, not really industrial, but basically when sales became more important, people like Dale Carnegie came along and things like that, it became more important the personality that you exhibit and how you get others to perceive you. And specific, particularly introverts and or more people that are more closed, that are more to them, hold them uh, to themselves, they struggle with that because it's it's not normal, as you say, to brag about your work or it's, it's not a natural thing that happens for us. Unfortunately, that's the world we live in and you got to get into it. You got to like learn how to show yourself and show your results so that people find you because they're not going to find you just through through knowing your friends or, you know, through the local community that you've always grown up in. We don't live in that world anymore. So it's just something that people, I think we all need to get accustomed to. Absolutely. And I think one thing that might be helpful for some of those introverts is to think about it as you are being as efficient as possible. You can get to the same place and work so much harder without um, making those connections, networking, um, doing speaking events. And just know that a lot of people who you see that might be extroverts are probably feeling a lot of those same fears. Um, I, I definitely am one of those people where it's easy to talk one-on-one, but speaking events, I can be vulnerable and say that's difficult and I get scared and I get nervous. But um, think about it as you can be more efficient and get over some of those fears or you can kind of do it the hard way and not really have to challenge yourself personally. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And speaking of speaking events, you're coming to Data Science Go and you're going to be one of our speakers there. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you so much. I am super, super excited. Um, I'll be talking about fighting bias in AI and trying to uh, highlight some solutions that help us analyze our models better and just be more critical about bias that we don't really think about. That's very, very exciting. So fighting bias, um, like it sounds like it's um, because we talked about this a bit, a bit about this before the podcast. It sounds like a passion of yours. Like, tell us about that. How, you know, um, bias and diversity in machine learning. How are you working on that? Like, what is this project? Yeah. So one of the aspects there comes from past examples. Um, I think a lot of people might be familiar with the Tesla accident that happened, uh, I think, a year or two ago in Arizona. I think it was Arizona. With the bicycle? Uh, Yes. So uh, one example that I had that kind of shed some light about who this really impacts is I was giving a talk at the National Society of Black Engineers last week. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the personal development conference, I kind of had everyone raise their hands if they had issues with taking selfies at night. Mm -hmm. And surrounded by a group group of black engineers, almost everybody raised their hands. Mm -hmm. And I asked everyone in the room if they had heard about this accident, and pretty much everyone raised their hands. Mm -hmm. And I asked them to think in 25 years, if we're going to see a statistical statistically significant difference in who actually gets hit at night Mm -hmm. we are kind of on the understanding right now that self-driving cars are going to be um, more and more frequent we are going to have to deal with them being on the roads and that's one of the things that i consistently think about that despite the fact that there are sensors we know that sensors can fail Mm -hmm. we also cameras can fail 
Um, and I think that's one of those measurement biases where the actual camera lens that is the source of the hardware in almost every camera in modern day, you know, America or uh, across the world is based off of a lens that was tuned specifically for lighter skin. Mm -hmm. So um, when the camera was being developed, they would do paper bag tests. Um, they would take photos of slaves and usually their you know, child takers with the children and actually tune the camera lens to the children's skin color. Mm -hmm. And what we end up with is a flawed hardware product that is the basis for more flawed hardware products. Mm -hmm. So I think in that sense, I do worry and I'm very concerned that we'll see more people with darker skin are getting hit at night because we just can't see them. But we didn't intervene early enough to really say we need to do more research and we need to make sure that this hardware that has the ability to detect, you know, people doesn't make the wrong decision when it comes to um, people of different skin colors and how we differ. Okay. And so you're planning on using machine learning to kind of uh, fix that hardware problem? I'm actually thinking about making it a hardware problem to <laughs> fix. Mm -hmm. uh, so part of this, um, I've actually started uh, working on this project, is collecting a lot more diverse data. So um, actually working almost backwards. So collecting data sets of individual races, but being able to tune our camera to each of those. So if we have um, presets or if we have th things that are hardware aids for cameras to be able to recognize darker skinned people better, um, I think going forward, these need to be used so that we don't end up with some of those problems. Okay, okay, gotcha. And um, what, uh, what will you like share in your talk uh, at Data Science Go about this problem? Yeah, so I'll talk a little bit about what we can do now and then also a lot about explainable uh, artificial intelligence mm -hmm. and how there are practical solutions that right now we're able to use to just understand our models better. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right, very exciting. So um, what, uh, you, you haven't been to Data Science Go before, before like in the I past years. Okay, so what have you heard about Data Science Go and what are you looking forward to? Um, I've heard that it's a lot of fun, so um, I'm really excited to network with a lot of the other data scientists there. Um, just looking at some of the other speakers, there are some people I'm really excited to meet, but uh, I want to talk with a lot of job seekers. Uh, I can imagine that we might still be hiring at MindBody, so really trying to also get a good idea of the job market in, in San Diego as well. Awesome, awesome, very cool. And uh, one thing I think you will like is that I, I didn't realize this, but uh, Pablo Holman, who was well, our keynote speaker last year, um, mm -hmm. he, and this is a person that's like got 20 million views on his TED Talks and he's worked with Bill Gates and quite a reputable person in the space of AI, data science, engineering. But he, we were having lunch together and he pointed this out to me and I, I looked around, I was, it was, he was totally right, that the level of diversity at Data Science Go is astonishing it's not it's not something like we um we were expecting that it just somehow naturally happened through our audience through people who were coming there but he said that this was one of like the top conference in the space of data science ai with like the highest diversity we had people from like 23 different countries come and uh from oh, wow. all sorts of nationalities it's like you i don't know you find yourself meeting absolutely random people from all walks of life from all colors of skin genders from whatever preferences and uh, minorities ev from everywhere and that is so exciting i think you know with your talk will be very act actual and relevant to this audience so i'm very excited about that yes i'm super excited to hear that as well okay fantastic and so let's um talk a bit about mind body because you you did mention just now and um we talked about this uh, or you mentioned this before the podcast you are hiring right now you're hiring a co-worker so um yes. i warned you that because 10,000 people listen to this podcast as soon as we say something like you're hiring a co-worker you might get like a very large number of applications so let's make it easy for everybody who's listening to understand if this is the right position for them and they should indeed send you their 
uh, CV. Um, tell us a bit about like uh, what kind of work is uh, is going to be involved, and also what kind of what are the requirements for uh, the person that you're looking for. Absolutely. So we are looking for someone who is local or willing to live in San Diego, California. That is because this data scientist it will work very closely with our consumer marketing team. Mm -hmm. So that means uh, the MindBody app, our front-facing application is the team that you'd be working with uh, and working on that consumer product. Some of the skills required for the role are very basic level of SQL, being able to pull data for customers is still really big for us. Also, uh, we're looking for someone who has some marketing experience. So that's either an understanding of a SaaS company, uh, metrics like lifetime value or click-through rates. Any kind of marketing uh, analytics knowledge would be really, really helpful for this role. Um, and we're really agnostic about uh, programming languages. If you're an R Python user, we have more than enough tools to accommodate. But we're looking for someone who's you know really passionate uh, uh, any kind of interest in marketing is is really helpful. Gotcha. Okay. Very, very clear description. And how do people apply? Anybody who is ready to apply can go to company.mindbodyonline.com slash careers, and you'll be able to search for the data scientist role. Let's, uh, let me check that again. So company.mindbody.what? Mindbodyonline. Mindbodyonline.com slash careers. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me see. Let me see if it loads for me. Just to do okay. So, got everybody listening, company dot mindbodyonline one word dot com slash careers is where you can apply. Okay, very cool. Oh, you you even have a description of your perks. Very cool. Yep. Awesome. Okay, great. And so, uh, just to sum up, what is the mission of MindBody so that people can see if they're if they relate to this mission? Yeah, MindBody is really about connecting the world to wellness. So we have a combination of our apps and tools for fitness studios, hair salons, uh, masseuses. They're able to interact with their customers better, and we make it really easy to book an appointment, especially if you're traveling. Very cool. And so you're, are you the first data scientist there, or is it a big team already? No, it's actually a fairly large team. So mm -hmm. we actually have about 40 people right now, but that's broken up between business intelligence, business insights, data warehousing, and a couple other departments. Oh, so it's quite a big company already. Mm -hmm. Yes. So okay. I think we're about 1,900 people for, for reference. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, there, there we go. If anybody is looking for a job or knows somebody who is looking for a job in San Diego, then uh, please refer them. Okay, I think we've covered on so covered off so many topics. Is there is there anything that we missed? Like I had a whole huge list of things to talk about, but things it looks like we've gone through almost anything. Is there anything that like you'd like to add to our discussion? Yeah. Um, last bit is just that I am mentoring people right now who are trying to find roles in data science. So um, I want people to be you know, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter or on Instagram, um, as well as I also mentor via The Sharpest Minds. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very specific data science mentoring platform, but um, please feel free to reach out. I know that's something I kind of wish I had early on in my career. That's so nice of you. You're like only two and a half years into data science, but you're already giving back to the community. That is amazing. I love that. You know, it takes, sometimes takes people like decades to realize that, you know, it's it's all about giving back so huge kudos to you and i hope i do hope people reach out and it sounds like you, you do have a lot of things to share you know <laughs> from <laughs> detecting poisonous mushrooms to bulletproof flying drones <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> oh that's awesome it could be an episode on its own <laughs> yeah i can imagine i can imagine um all right and so uh you, you mentioned twitter uh, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn. I see you have like uh, over almost four thousand followers. Let's everybody. It's at three thousand nine hundred fifty-four followers. Let's let's oh tip it gosh. over four thousand. Um, yeah, that link. I like LinkedIn. You get like that's how. That's one of the best ways I think to connect because it's got the uh, professional. I would rate LinkedIn and uh, Twitter one and two for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And you tweet quite often. I, I'm guessing. 
Yeah, I'm pretty active, probably most active in tech on Twitter. Uh, some of those things kind of get reposted to LinkedIn, but mm -hmm. uh, fairly active in those conversations. Fantastic. Okay. All right. Um, well, there we go. That's, that's where people can find you. Um, and I guess one question I'm curious about is what's a book that you've been reading or you've read that's impacted your life or career? You have such an interesting story. There has to be something that's impacted you and I would love to know what it is. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm kind of going to use a very technical career one. Um, mm -hmm. It's called Heard in Data Science Interviews. Mm -hmm. uh, it's by Cal Mishra and it came out just last year. So mm -hmm. um, this has, I think, like over 600 different interview questions with like really detailed answers. So when I was going through my job hunt, uh, this was kind of my holy grail and feeling really comfortable in how I answered some of those data science questions. Wow. Okay. Heard in data science interviews, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think I found it on Amazon already. 600, yep. over 650 most commonly asked interview questions and answers by Cal Mishra. Okay. Yep. Fantastic. It's great. It goes into um, some of those really specific questions to like an NLP and other subject areas. Okay, very, very cool. Um, so you, you basically provided a job opportunity and the solution to how to get it on the podcast. <laughs> Apply for the job, read the book. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Sounds like you should write a book of your own. This is, this is I might, like an autobiography or something. This is crazy. Like, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. Not, not plugging anything, I promise. But yeah. I've, I've been thinking about the idea, um, mostly just geared towards people transitioning into technical roles because I feel it's important for me to talk about these things and give back now while it's still fresh in my mind, the struggles I'm still dealing with. Mm -hmm. So if that's helpful to anyone, let me know. Yeah, please, please do write it. And when, you, when it's done, come back on the podcast and we'll talk about it and we'll tell the world that it's out. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, th that is such a common thing. People transitioning from non-technical role to data science. I wish more people did that because it's, it's, it's possible. And examples like yours show that not just possible, you can achieve great success in a short period of time. So, yeah. thank you for that thank you thank you for coming on the show i covered so we've covered off so many things super excited for your talk at data science go for everybody who's going to be there is going to hear it um it's going to be a great continuation of the things that we talked about on this podcast and i personally look forward to catching up with you there in in real life i do too thank you so much i know that uh i've used a lot of your content to help me get ahead and it's awesome to be able to chat and i'm so honored to be able to talk at data science go Fantastic. Thanks, Adeli. Hope you have a great day. You too. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being part of the Super Data Science podcast today. Super pumped for you to have joined us for this conversation with Ayudali. I hope you feel as inspired as I am. Uh, my personal favorite takeaway from here has to be has to be the bullets stopping flying drones. But uh, in terms of like. Um, valuable career takeaways i think the whole notion of just being flexible and adaptable to changing all the time to being accustomed to change how many times did ayudeli change in her masters how many times did ayudeli change you know her career trajectory and that is what has helped her not just get success but get success rapidly and something to consider where is a place in your life where you are maybe stuck where you have fear because you're afraid of change and you don't know what will happen well just think of Udeli's story and that should inspire you to embrace change and jump jump into it take the leap and see what happens so that can be very very rewarding sometimes and on that note, as usual, you can get all the notes for this episode at superdatascience.com slash 297. That's superdatascience.com slash 297. There you'll find the transcript for this episode, any materials we mentioned, also the links and URLs for Ayudeli's profiles. Make sure to connect with her on LinkedIn. Her Twitter handle is uh, data underscore base, D-A-T-A underscore B-A-Y-E-S. Uh, you can also find it on the show notes. So make sure to connect with her and uh, her great offer for 
mentoring, if you're looking for a mentor, uh, then Ayudeli might be a great person to connect with. By the way, if you're looking for a mentor, I highly recommend listening to what Tim Ferriss, um, you know, the famous writer and podcaster has to say about it. So you don't overwhelm your mentor and that's the best way to build a relationship with your mentor. Just just saying, if you're going to reach out about to someone about mentorship, first check those things out so that you can build a good, well-grounded, fundamental uh, mentor-mentee relationship. Um, and finally, as mentioned, uh, Ayudeli is going to be a speaker at Data Science Go, and uh, we're going to have lots of exciting speakers like Ayudeli. I would love to personally meet you there. We have you know hundreds of people already signed up, already coming for Data Science Go. So if you uh, haven't gotten your ticket yet for Data Science Go, and you're considering coming, or you'd like to come, or you'd like to hear more about Ayudeli, this is one of those times to embrace uncertainty, take the leap and see what happens, jump into it. So the website is www.datasciencego.com. Even if you have to fly from a different country, it is worth it. We had 23 people from 23 different countries come last year and I'm expecting it's gonna be even more this year. So come see us in San Diego, 27, 28, 29 September. That's already coming up very, very soon. That is what, um, when this podcast goes live, that's like two weeks away or like a week away, just over a week away from when this podcast goes live. So make sure to get your tickets if you haven't gotten them yet. This is the last chance to transform your career and then Data Science Go is not gonna be available for another year. You'll have to wait until 2020. So don't miss out. Make sure you're there. Make sure you skyrocket your career and take it to the next level. Once again, website is datasciencego.com. Get your tickets. And I'll see you next time. Until then, happy analyzing.